0: Hi, thanks for listening to Bowties in Business. I'm your host, Tim Kubiak. Today, we have Jeremy Hill on JB Capital. As always, you can find us at timkubiak.com, as well as on our socials, which are Bowties in Business on Facebook and Instagram, as well as Bowties and B-I-Z on Twitter. So often, businesses talk about the funding needs, finding money. You hear terms thrown around every day about friends and family, seed money, angel investing. If you're in the tech world, you hear series A, B, C. We all have heard the term IPO or initial public offering. Well, Jeremy's gonna talk to us about private lending, which is what he does. But we're also gonna cover all those different types of ways to raise money so you can find the right funding for your business. So thanks for being here. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe, Tell your friends, and you can sign up for our newsletter, The Weekly Sales Leader. If you or your team missed a commit, lost a deal, or fell without knowing why, visit TimKubiak.com slash RedZone to learn about the RedZone Sales Opportunity Management App and go from my thing to I know all your most important deals. Jeremy, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself?
1: Hi, thanks for having me. So I am Jeremy Hill. Last time I checked. I am Jeremy Hill, uh, founder and managing partner of a company called JB Capital, uh, just outside of the Seattle area. And so we're a... uh, a private bank, if you will, or a private lender, it is that makes credit investments through growing companies throughout the country.
0: And so today we're going to talk about finding the right kind of money for your business. So if we can start, can you just go through the types of money that are out there that people typically go after, and then talk about where you come into play?
1: Yeah, of course. So it, a lot, you know, I think there's two classifications really, right? You know, there's 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 debt and there's equity, and there's you know, a thousand different gymnastics for each one of those things it is. But most people are either uh, borrowing money, you know, from your bank or your rich uncle or somebody else, right? Or they're going out and they're actually looking for a, uh, an equity investor and giving up part. And so if we, if we start simply and say debt or equity, on equity, most people are familiar or have heard of Uh, either venture capital or private equity or angel investing or anything like this, right? And so the thing to know is that your your audience, so if it's Tim and Jeremy's growing software business, restaurant, whatever it is that we do, right? It doesn't matter. Um, your, your, Your investors on the other end of the equation, the way it is that they raise money and where it is that they raise money from and what it is that they promise their investors dictate a lot. Of how it is that they're going to do business with you, and so depending upon where your business is in stages, really depends upon what type of partner you should be looking for. And so everybody's heard of an angel investor, an early stage investor, a high net worth investor. Most of these guys are investing into companies. It is that are really early stage. They they. Um, I may not even have revenue yet, and certainly probably aren't profitable at this point. And so, for those guys, they're typically investing smaller amounts. So it may be five grand from your uncle to get started. It may be you know a hundred or two hundred grand from the local rich guy or doctor or dentist or whoever it happens to be. And those guys are typically investing in equity, and they're looking for not a home run necessarily, but they are taking definitely outsized risk at where that business is. And so. They're looking for a uh, an outsized return as well, right? So that would be the the angel investor, seed investor, high net worth, rich uncle type investor. Um, as your company progresses, gets a little bit further, everybody's heard of venture capital or vulture capital, or you know, every, everybody's got a everybody's got a name for them, right? And there's a bunch of good guys in that business, and there's a bunch of guys that have definitely earned the reputation that they have, good and bad. Uh, but venture capital guys are. Um, still in the early stage of investing. Um, but they're, they're, your ideas may be a little bit more baked, right? You're a little bit further. You maybe got your, your first generation of product. You've got your first couple of customers, one thing or another. You're beyond the kind of good idea on a cocktail napkin kind of phase, right? Uh, but VCs are still typically early investors. They're writing maybe a little bit larger checks. So depending upon um, that firm's balance sheet, they may be writing a 250 or $500,000 check or they could be writing a check one to 10 million, maybe even a little bit higher. Those guys are typically investing in equity, right? So great, I'm gonna invest a million dollars for 10% of your business or you know whatever it is. Um, and oftentimes they may have some debt alongside of it. So there are certain banks and other lenders it is that work very closely with the venture capital community it is to provide some additional juice there. Um, the, the adage historically for venture capital is that they are looking for roughly about a 10X return, mean, meaning that they want 10 times on their money within a kind of a three to four year period of time. And so the the old stories were, is that for every 10 deals that they invested in, you know, uh, six, maybe seven, seven of them were gonna be a dog, right? Like they may not get any of their money back. One or two, they do pretty well. And then one, hopefully they shoot the lights out, right? And, and the one that shoots the lights out maybe makes up for the, the, the differences in the overall portfolio. So those guys are looking for kind of 10X, right? On their money. The third and kind of more established side uh, for an equity investor would be kind of private equity, which is what most people have heard of. These are the guys you're typically seeing in the newspaper in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times and these kinds of things. Um, they are either mid to later stage, com- uh, mid to later stage investors, and they're they're writing meaningful checks. You know, typically the more established guys are writing checks from from 10 million to 100 million, even greater, half a billion to a billion dollars or more. And these guys are less focused on. Uh, uh, I want a 5X return or a 10X return. They're more focused on the fact of, I want to deliver a certain internal rate of return. i want to deliver a, a 15% or 17% or 20%, whatever the number is, uh, uh, annual return to my investors over the life of our portfolio of investments. And they're going to do that through um, uh, some degree of financial engineering to where it is that they're bringing in equity. They're adding you know a turn or two of leverage. And then it's really operationally focused to uh, kind of h- help turn the screws and increase increase performance or, or better perfect margins over the time of their investments to get them to a point to where they can either sell it to another private equity firm, they can take it public, they look for some type of liquidity event, uh, and then hopefully drive returns back to their investors. So the biggest thing for anybody out raising money is to really, it's it's really to know your audience, right? It's to know what it is that you want so you're not, an early stage company pitching a private equity guy, just you're you're not talking the same language. It's really important to know your audience.
0: So let's say you are that mid-stage person and you're looking at maybe it's a series B or series C or a private equity play, right? How much control are you really going to give up? Are you going to give up board control, executive control, as well as ownership group?
1: No, not necessarily. I mean, it's, there are, there are uh, uh, two philosophies here, and they operate simultaneously, is there, there is definitely truth to the fact of he who has the gold makes the rules, right? And so ultimately the investor, you know, the rich guy it is that's writing the check to invest in your company or loan you money either way, they're more often than not going to have an idea of what it is that they want for that capital, right? Just period, they are, right? And here's what my capital is worth, here's how it is that we invest, here's my expectations, whether that's you know board seats or board observation rights or what percent of equity, whether they want control or not, a number of different things. In parallel with that, the, the entrepreneur has to candidly decide what he's willing to give up. How important is that capital for you? Because I can have, a, as an investor, a, an idea that says, I'm going to invest in Tim's company and I want 51% of the business and here's how I'm gonna work and here's what it's gonna be. You, it, you know, until you sign that, you can always say no. And so the, the reality there is that, that entrepreneurs need to understand the fact that it is that, that the, these agreements, the contracts are for the divorce, they're not for the marriage. Right, and so that that's of critical importance when an entrepreneur is looking at an equity partner. Um, you need to think about this like a marriage, right? Is that 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 equity relationships are um, equity relationships are like getting married, and and borrowing money or taking on debt is like dating, right? And so for me. Um, I know a bunch of people it is that are in the equity business, both at early stage to venture to private equity, great guys, very successful and some good people. I also know some guys it is that have had interactions with, with folks in that space that have been not so good. And just, you know, you and me both, buddy, we, we, we know people it is that have been married for 30 years and their wife is just the greatest thing since sliced bread. And that's been a lot of my story, right? My wife and I've been married almost 25 years and she's just, she's the hottest thing I've ever seen and I love her to death, right? But but I also know people it is that have chosen the wrong marriage partner um, and it's turned out it is to to be the bane of their existence, right? That similarly, you can see that in, in choosing the wrong equity partner for your business. So the people need to be very thoughtful of not getting uh, so turned on by some rich guy writing you a check you know, and that money. And you really need to, to look at and underwrite who you're actually, you know, thinking about getting married to, right? It's hugely important.
0: It is. So the next question I've got to ask is, what about traditional banks, right? You, you, they all have business branches. They're always going after it. You know, everybody wants to throw around uh, small business, government loans, et yeah. Where does that actually come into play and who actually benefits from that kind of money?
1: Yeah, I mean, so, so banks do a great job, and banks historically have been kind of the cornerstone of lending in the United States, right? From our, from our mortgages on our house to uh, car loans to small business loans to a number of things, right? The um, unfortunate thing, following the great financial crisis, we've gone from uh, 11,000 or so thrifts and, and financial institutions in the United States to seven to six. Now we're around 5,000, and we're on our way probably to 3,000. And so the, the challenge here is the amount of uh, uh, oversight and regulation and compliance it is that's being forced on a lot of these banks is forcing a consolidation effort to where it is that, you know, little community bank is getting bought by bigger community bank, getting bought by bigger community bank, which two or three years later gets bought by US Bank or Key Bank or somebody else, right? And so the challenge that these banks are having is that it's difficult for a bank with less than kind of $10 billion in assets on their balance sheet, it is to be profitable. And so a lot of times what happens there is that these banks are leaning on the SBA. And so banks have become very, very good at figuring out um, ways to do more with less, right? And so um, normally a lot of this, well, I, I guess now, a lot of this consolidation function it is that's happened has made the bigger banks be more of a, a servicing engine, right? Like we can do everything. We can do home home insurance and car insurance. I mean, they can do they can do everything, right? For the businesses, it is that are out looking to borrow. Um, typically, the banks for smaller businesses are looking to kind of direct you towards an SBA loan of one kind or another. the The reasons it is that they do that are is that the smaller businesses oftentimes don't either have the 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 balance sheet or the cash flow or the assets it is to support a a conventional credit relationship with the bank. And so what the SBA does is the SBA provides uh, an insurance policy, if you will, against loss, against I think 80% of the losses it is that the bank would incur that if they loan me money for Jeremy's construction business or whatever my business is, and the bank loses money, the SBA will backstop that and provide additional insurance. And so the banks typically steer small businesses that way um, because they get that additional insurance. The other piece, too, is candidly there's about two and a half times the fee income for the bank in putting you in an SBA loan versus taking it direct. So not only do they get the insurance, but it's more of an income generator for the bank. So it, it's, it's done part to your benefit, but definitely part to their benefit as well.
0: Back to the golden rule. He who has the gold, yeah, right? Back to
1: the gold. Yeah, you got it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: So let's talk about what you do in the yeah. segment that you play in. Yeah. So are you private banking? Is that what you do?
1: Similar. So, so JB Capital, so we spent nearly 20 years in kind of the investment banking and advisory business. And so uh, companies and executives and boards and large projects it is would retain us to go solve complex financial problems, which usually meant us going and raising money. Um, After 20 years and close to a billion dollars of kind of transaction advisory work there, we elected to move out of the middle and do more so from a principal position what I've been doing as an advisor for 20 years. And so my business today um, operates uh, very similar to a private version of a commercial bank. So we make credit investments throughout the country to, to, to growing companies that for one reason or another don't, quite fit what a bank can do, um, but are not yet to a point to where they can warrant attention from large institutional investors. So if, if you don't fit a bank for whatever reason, right, and and the guys on Wall Street don't really care about writing a five or a 10 million dollar check, those are the guys that are typically coming to me. And so uh, about 80% of our portfolio is in normal commercial businesses. So these are uh, um, healthcare and technology companies; these are software companies, professional services firms, you know, law firm, CPA practices, this kind of a thing. And then we uh, have about 20 or so percent uh, of our portfolio it is that's allocated towards real estate assets. And so the goal here, for not only for us but for our investors, is to have a, a, a both an industry and a geographically diverse portfolio of assets that's generating income. And then we turn around and we we, we share that that income and dividends back to our investors. So
0: you own a mid-sized business, you're an executive at a mid-sized business. Revenue wise, people who should start thinking about talking to someone like you, is it 2 million, is it 5 million, is it 20 million?
1: Sure, so we have companies, in. I mean, our, our sweet spot candidly is companies that are between kind of five and $50 million in revenue. I think the smallest company that we have in our portfolio now is five. Um, uh, we're closing a deal this week for a company it is, it's kind of $55 million in revenue. And then we're closing a deal the first of next month that they're uh, finishing an acquisition and there'll be $130 million in revenue this year. So really for us, it's, it's a little bit of the gamut. Um, but I, for me, I can't do startups or pre-revenue. That's, that's not me because I'm i I'm a lender. I'm not an equity guy. Right. So I'm just, I'm renting money, which which means I want it back. <laughs>
0: right? The risk profile is completely different, right? It's
1: totally different. That's exactly right. It's totally different.
0: Yeah. Now, the, is your involvement different? Cause a lot of times in, remember I'm, spent way too much time in Silicon Valley, right? I'll so a lot of you. times the minute you take somebody's money in a series A, seed's not so bad. You take series A, B or C, right? If you're not hitting big markers, there's a lot of external controls and there's a lot of management fees involved.
1: Yeah. yeah, It's which candidly are all the things it is that I hate about the Valley, right? And so the, remember we talked about a lot of these guys have a well-earned reputation, good and bad, right? Yep. There, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are getting to a point to where it is that they're getting wise to the fact that, that they may not want to give up equity, that they would rather candidly deal with somebody like me who, who's going to loan them money and I'm going to charge them higher percent interest rate than the bank. But they're, they're not dealing with the, the, the capitalist mindset it is that is driving uh, um, decision-making and economics for the business it is that helped me as the investor get out of this thing in three years so I can deliver a return to my investor, so I can use it in net, next year's pitch book that said I delivered this kind of return to go raise fund seven, right? Like that is becoming a game that I think entrepreneurs are becoming aware of. And so for us as a private lender, I am looking at taking almost a, 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 an active private equity approach to loaning money. So the minute for any of our portfolio companies, it is that that they take my money. Not only it is that you do you, uh, you know, get a friendly checkbook, right, that's open. But in addition to that, it is you get the totality of myself, my team, our contacts and any of my reach it is that we have. And so whether that reaches the fact that is that we're helping you replace your, C, your, your CPA, we're bringing in a different attorney, we're for this new portfolio company that we have, um, they they didn't even know how to spell Q of E, right? Like they didn't even know what a quality of earnings was, right? And so we're moving them to a situation to where it is that we're increasing their financial reporting, which creates a better optic on the company from from how it is that they're, they're treating their financial statements. So next year, when we coach them through and guide them through raising an external round of capital, that will end up being a recapitalization for the business and a remuneration for me, a payoff for me, right? We're we're setting cornerstones in place it is that help these companies succeed, right? So it's, it's not just for us loaning money like another lender that says, hey, you know, great, here's $2 million, your payment's due on this. Uh, you know, we're, we're gonna close this thing in two years. And by the way, don't be late on your payment because I got to make my BMW payment, right? You know, like yeah. that's the wrong way to do things, right? And so we definitely take a different approach that so far has been really, really uh, well-received.
0: So you do events-based funding. You talked about, you know, an acquisition. What are other things that drive businesses to need capital?
1: Yeah, and so the the majority of companies it is that are reaching out to us either directly or through their attorney or CPA or whoever it is. You know, we, we like to say it is that that there is a there's a group of companies it is that either as a result of timing or circumstance or opportunity they are now more concerned with the availability of capital than the cost of capital right so tim and jeremy software business or coffee shop or whatever our business is right business has always been kicking butt and we you know we've never borrowed money for more than five percent but now that i'm trying to do x whatever that is buy out my partner open a shop across the street get this new product out do whatever it is i don't I don't have time to, to wait for my bank or wait for my current equity partner or wait for my rich uncle to get back to me. I don't have four months to go through diligence. I'm looking to take advantage of X, Y, Z, and I'm willing to pay an extra couple of points of this for doing that. And so really a, a lot of times the, the, the catalyst for somebody reaching out to me is, w- we historically would say is people would come to me because they're running towards something or running from something, right? You're, you're on this path of doing great things, and you're trying to, you know, reach for the brass ring and do X, whatever that is, right? And your bank and your rich uncle won't call you back, and now you're calling me, right? Yeah. Or you're 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 running from something, right? You're in this situation to where uh, um, your partner died, or your bank kicked you out, or your wife left you, your dog bit you. Uh, it kind of sounds like a country music song, but whatever. It you does. That- but
0: I know guys it's happened to in the <laughs> same week.
1: <laughs> right, right? Exactly. You know. But it's that. It's that. That triage money, right? Like it—it it hasn't always been like this. It's—it's—it's it's, it's not always going to be like this, but it is now. And so, how do I structure and avail the most appropriate sources of capital to kind of manage through purgatory? How do I—how do I do that? And so, you know, twenty years of being an advisor and banker at, at doing this has just given us a lot of visibility into a whole hell of a lot of scenarios to just be able to help guys along the way, and 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 again i think we we do a pretty damn good job of that how long
0: to deal for with you typically is it a year is it 3 years 60 months does yeah, it depend on the nature
1: yeah great question so for us it's it's uh, i'm kind of in that tween tweener phase right so uh, most of our our uh, loans are between 1 and 3 years and so we are not meant to be uh, you know an overnight bridge lender like i'm just not getting you through 3 months or 6 months kind of a thing but then we're also not you know, a five-year paper, like it's, I, I want to be a, a stop along your way to success, right, but we're, you don't want to pay my money for five years, right, if you are, there's other things going on, right, and right. so we're typically one to three-year loans.
0: So you talked about who often people come to you through an attorney or a CPA or whatnot, do you see a lot of private ownership transitioning to Senior management, long-term employees—is a generational shift rather than a family generational shift.
1: Yeah, you can. I mean, I think that there's, you know, there's really almost um, two types of businesses, if you will. Right? There is um, somebody it is who has a business. It is who is trying to um, maximize uh, revenue growth, maximize profitability, minimize all the expenses it is that they can, and they are building it is to sell a business at some point in time in the near or mid or future. It is on a on a revenue or an EBITDA multiple, right? Like there, this is more of a, a a thoughtful, pragmatic approach. I'm going to build and sell a business, right? Yep. There's and that's kind of one category. There's another category of businesses it is that are almost like a like a lifestyle business. And and you see a lot of people it is that have either you know, worked for a big company that like the industry it is that they're in, they just don't want to work for the man anymore, or whatever it is, right. (laughs) Or you you find people it is that, you know, um, or maybe building houses, or they were a plumber or contractor or one thing or another that, you know, they just started doing a couple side jobs and side jobs grew a little bit bigger. And it, it was him and his wife. And then it was him and his wife plus one. And then 10 years later, it's him and his wife, and they got 40 trucks. And, you know, but from a lifestyle business, right, you are, you're, uh, you're writing off, you know, your boat, your house, your lake house and all of your cars, you write off your dog, you write off your wife, you know, uh, you, like <laughs> profitability, who gives a shit? Like I'm running everything I can through this business. Right. And so a lot of times for those businesses um, there, there really is no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Right. Like if you like, we're advising just a good friend of mine. It is that that's been in the contracting business. It is electrical contractor for 25 years. And, you know, he's either gonna be in a situation to where over the the next three or four or five years that he's gonna try to either sell it to his employees, like you're talking about, which is a great way to do it. He's gonna maybe try to sell to a competitor um, or there's just gonna be a day or a point in time to where he's just too damn tired to come to the office and turn the lights on, you know? And so for guys like that, Either funding an ESOP, you know, uh, an employee stock option plan, or doing some type of transitional ownership, it is to, you know, the two guys that have been with you for 10 years, or you know, whatever. That is a that is a really prudent uh, um, approach for figuring out a way for these for these entrepreneurs of these lifestyle businesses to kind of take some chips off the table. Or, or maybe plan for your retirement because you, you don't, you know, for those guys, they don't, they don't have an employee an employer that's matching their 401k contributions. They don't, you know, it's, you don't have these kinds of things. And so you're left to kind of figure those devices out on your own. And so, um, you know, a, a transitional ownership and sale like that is actually a pretty good approach.
0: So I'm, I'm going to pick on the lifestyle businesses a little bit, right? So I've, I've lived in an industry that's lifestyle businesses and I love these guys. You're right. they write off the BMW, the jet ski, the wife, you know, the dog and everything else. Oh. And then when they go to sell, they want the multiple on what EBITDA should have been. <laughs> right. Right. So, so. Do they need to be able to looking...
1: do a dog claw back, right? Or wife claw back, <laughs> Exactly,
0: right? No, no, no. The doggy healthcare was part of our benefits <laughs> package, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I literally had friends that I watched run, you know, 20, 40 million dollar year turnover kind of businesses that when they went to sell them, they couldn't get their multiple because they had put too much, right? A couple of cars is one thing. They'd put everything through the business. Yeah. 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 yeah so
1: you know, for guys that is that are thinking like that, I mean, you really you probably need to give yourself two years, maybe three, it is, that if you know that that you or you and your wife or you and your brother whatever the partnership agreement is, you know that if you want to start moving towards that, you probably need to do 24 months of cleanup, right? Is just really start pulling some of that stuff back, right? Um in preparation for that. I mean, it's just it just is in anything, the more the, the cleaner stuff is, and this goes back to just, you know, starting out and having good books and records and having a good attorney and a good CPA and a good controller and all these kinds of things, right? But, but spending a good kind of 18 to 24 months in cleanup before you're ready to do that will, will definitely pay dividends.
0: How do you deal with audited and unaudited financials in that mid-sized business?
1: You know, it's, it, it again, I think goes back to what the the intention is. So for us, a lot of the companies it is that we're investing in, the way it is that we are going to get our money back is through not only driving economics in the business to help them uh, streamline costs and increase profitability and grow revenue, but, you know, for me, I'm looking at, uh, I'm going to get out of this. One of three ways, right? So kind of like the old mafia movies. I always joke. I wanna, I wanna go dig the hole before I got the body, right? Like I don't wanna drive around with this thing in my trunk, you know? I wanna know how I'm, I am want to know how I'm getting out of this thing. And so, for us, we're trying to drive to economics. It is that over the tenure of our loan, uh, puts us in a situation to where their local bank is going to have a, uh, a two to two and a half to maybe a three times multiple on EBITDA. It is that will provide my remuneration, right? Um, if not if we are moving to a situation to where it is that we're looking to attract either their existing uh, um, investors or equity partners or future equity partners it is to come in and put money into the into the business I'm really wanting to um, uh, to put a significant focus on their uh, on their degree of kind of financial reporting and so there is audits are not cheap and so for a uh, a five million dollar business I'm Depending upon what our strategy is, I'm probably not telling these guys it is to move towards spending thirty-five thousand dollars on a financial audit. Right? It just that's a that's a big lift for those guys that they may not need. Now we may have uh, internally prepared and externally reviewed financials, right? So that's kind of a that's kind of a step along the way, you know, to that audit. And instead of spending thirty grand or something, they're maybe spending ten right? And so that professionalizes it to a certain degree. We'd also tell them to maybe do a QV, right? That they can get done for seven to kind of 15, depending upon the size of the business. Those things are all helpful for folks. It is to uh, kind of spit shine your business and give it a good polish for when you're either looking to attract investors or new business partners or anything else. They're going to, those things are, are, are definitely worth what it is that you pay for.
0: So you talk about acquisitions, buying a competitor, buying into a different territory, whatever. How do you look at um, operational efficiencies or do you?
1: Yeah, I mean, the and the private equity guys are better at that than me, you know, honestly. Um, but the reality is, is that if company A is buying company B, we shouldn't just, you know, combine balance sheets and combine expenses, right? Otherwise, you know, are we actually creating efficiencies, right? You know, right. and so there are there are uh, accretive benefits it is to gaining you know somebody else's customer or geography or territory or one thing or another, which is great. But you know, hopefully you don't need you know two of the same operating software's and two of the same CRM systems and two of the same you know supply chain systems and you know you don't need uh, you know two directors of HR and two directors of marketing, right? So there needs to be some operational efficiencies that create that justify the the, the pains of going through the acquisition. Right? Um, more often than not for us, as we are, we are providing a funding mechanism for the company, it is to, um, to acquire that business, right? And so I really don't, I don't, for our business, my practice and kind of philosophy is I'm really not chasing sponsors. So I don't like to be the, the, uh, the yield enhancer for the private equity firm it is just by borrowing money from me. Right. Like I, I, I would rather work with the borrower with the company itself. It's doing the acquisition. Right. And then we're looking at just kind of formulas on, on how our capital and how this acquisition it is, is beneficial and accretive to their business. And then hopefully it is that they're able to strip out, you know, 10 to 20, 10 to 30% uh, of those operational expenses that'll provide the additional yield to justify my capital.
0: You as you do us anywhere else. Do you, do you do business Canada, North America? Do you yeah. do any any so other global? For,
1: yeah, for us. So our our business and the construct of how it is that we can lend is set up U.S. and Canada. Okay. Um, the reality is is that currently our entire portfolio is in the United States. Um, I'd love to look at deals in, in in Toronto or Ontario, and then Vancouver is kind of in my backyard. We've got a number of friends up that way, um, but haven't seen anything yet. Happy to happy to look. I love Canada, so. I
0: hate the FX though.
1: Yes, yes, (laughs) Agreed. agreed, agreed.
0: So, what haven't I asked that I should ask?
1: You know, I think it is, you know, really for companies it is that are going through and trying to understand, you know, where to go. I think the the things ultimately for them to understand is number one: are you are you are you looking for debt or equity, right? Like, are you are you looking to borrow money? Can you can you what you think you want to do is it better for you? It is to go borrow money from either a bank, somebody locally, a high net worth guy, a fund, a you know a credit strategy, or somebody like me, or you better suited it is to to find an equity partner, right? And so the things and, and either way, it's up to the entrepreneur to dis, to decide. I have always in my mind been a um, a proponent of debt. I would I. I would, you know, debt is like dating, and equity is like marriage. You know, as as we talked about, right? And so, uh, the only person I want to be married to is my wife, right? And so, and she tells me what to do enough, right? I don't need a business partner doing that too, right? So, <laughs> the uh, please, let's. This call is recorded. Hopefully, my wife's not listening, but you know, <laughs> the the, um, the the things there is that entrepreneurs need to decide that I think first, and then ultimately, too you need to realize that if you are going the equity route, you are going to you know, have a local investor or a venture capital or private equity investor, understand the fact it is that that really is like a marriage, right? And so mm-hmm. you, you want to go into that gingerly, you, you, because you're gonna be stuck with these guys and, and they may turn out to be fantastic, but I would tell people that if they're going to go that route, there needs to be additional benefits other than just the money whether you're borrowing money from somebody like me or you're gonna go get a venture capital or private equity investor, there has to be more than just the million or five or 10 or whatever it is that they're giving you into their business, right? They, they need to be able to, uh, you know, I've had three exits with a similar business at a similar stage to what it is that you're doing. They need to agree it is that they're gonna walk you in and introduce you to five of their clients It is that you may have not got access to unless you knew this guy. And just, there needs to be something there that's more than just money. And if there's not, then don't take their money. Because the reality is, is money is just money until money's not just money. And it's not just money when there's other benefits. And so that, that's one of the things it is that I would just tell people to be thoughtful and cautious of.
0: Okay. Have you seen credit conditions changing yet with the pandemic and recessionary trends?
1: <sighs> for, for us, yes and no um, you know I don't I don't spend a bunch of time thinking about other people's businesses I think about mine you know 25 <laughs> hours a day right um, and so for us we the 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 covid world is putting us in a situation to where it is that we now have a um, uh, kind of a, a secondary diligence of, you know, looking through COVID colored glasses kind of a thing, right? So as we would run normally our, our companies through a certain diligence process to, to understand the, the benefits of us coming in and whether it makes sense and we can get behind the management, and the philosophy, the strategy, the tenure and everything else, if we can get behind that, then there is now a uh, kind of a COVID looking glass that we layer on top of that that looks at, okay, if this is not over at the end of this year, if this is another 12 months out, Mm-hmm. or longer, or if we're going to be stuck at home the next two years, or if we can't jump on an airplane or if we, you know, whatever the situation is, how does that business operate? And can it continue to operate in in a way it is that allows them to continue to be profitable um, and protects ours and, and our, our investors' interests? Mm-hmm. And so um, thus far, I'm, I'm pleased to say, um, uh, our entire portfolio is still performing. Uh, nobody's been laid on a payment, and you know nobody's been you know nobody's business has been crushed by the COVID yet, right? You know, and hopefully not. But we are having conversations with these guys about you know if we're going to if we've been home for six months or however long we've been home now, six years it seems like if we've been home for six months, you know now, and our fifty employees are working from home we're paying $40,000 a month for rent, there's a point in time to where that starts to kind of not make sense, right? And so should we renegotiate things with our, with our landlord? Should we ask for a deferred? Should we try to sublease that space out? Should we look for smaller space? Should You know, I mean, there's a lot of those questions It is that are being asked that we're coaching our, our, our you know entrepreneurs and companies through um, when PPP came out everybody was like, well, should I apply? And if I apply, how does that work? And how does the forgiveness work? And how does that affect your credit investment? If now the government's in this thing. And so figuring all those things out, right, was another thing. Um, And so I think that there's just an additional layer of diligence and handholding that needs to be had. I think one of the um, most prudent things it is that I heard is that I was listening to a, a, a Goldman podcast, maybe it's been maybe three months ago now, or four months ago now. It is where CEO Goldman comes on and just says, "Everybody that's in the credit space, I just became a bridge lender." Whether you think, whether you think you are or you're not, yeah, you uh, are. You are. <laughs> but you are right because we we if you thought that you were writing three year paper, it's now four year paper. Right? If you thought you were writing four, it's now five because for the next year we're all in purgatory. Nobody knows what the hell's going on. Right? And so the the thought here is is be patient a little bit right like the not that not that you want to let companies um, uh, get out of whack or or not have certain control mechanisms there but all of us no matter which side of the of the the balance sheet it is that you're on all of us are are figuring this out a little bit right so there's a little grace it is that's got to happen there to a certain degree
0: yeah it's been interesting working with some of my clients on 2021 forecasts and projections and planning from a sales perspective.
1: Sure.
0: You know, you had people that were projecting maybe mid teens, low twenties growth this year that have done double. And now you're walking them back and then you have the opposite side of that, right? You had markets that declined. Yeah. So setting that reality is an interesting challenge.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, for, for all of us it's it's you know you're just kind of peeling it back one day at a time right because you know the the election's important um but it's also not at the same point right you know I mean it's it's important to a certain degree uh, but policy is probably going to keep us in a certain situation regardless of what politics says November right and so yeah. um, it, it'll just be interesting to see how this kind of whole thing unfolds. Um, some of the larger companies it is I think have been, very disappointed with their version of PPP, like this uh, Main Street lending program it is that came out. I think that they allocated $650 billion, it is, for Main Street, and they've only deployed like $250 million. Like it, just crazy numbers to where you're thinking that's just, that's an academic, you know, even approach to it. Like they just, they did nothing. So it'll be, it'll be interesting for some of the larger companies it is to see how it is that they're handling more macro movements I think what we will see is that we're going to see a fast forward in some of the larger technology companies like the reality is is that the 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 fang companies the Facebook and Apple and Google and Netflix and these guys of the world candidly they're probably not going to be too impacted for this and they're going to gain additional market share um, because they have so much freaking cash on their balance sheets Mm -hmm. that it's really not going to move the needle too much for them and so it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens there.
0: Yeah. So, so the thing I think will be interesting is you talked about real estate space. You talked about work from home, yeah. right? The telecom and cable company infrastructure really has to evolve quickly and shift. We're behind Europe by leaps and bounds. So yep. if people keep working from home, their ability to deploy and work in the same manner, is going to be really challenged. I, I literally can tell every day when online school starts in my neighborhood, right? Because you just watch the speeds crash.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, you know, it'll be interesting for that space as this becomes a little bit longer term. And so I know uh, a number of executives at, uh, at Microsoft and Google and Facebook here locally on the West Coast. Um, and then some, you know, some, some other larger, you know, kind of 20 to $100 billion valuation companies it is and a lot of these guys have now come back and said that hey uh, everybody's going to be home uh, it was first through january 1st then it was through july and now a lot of these guys are saying hey it's going to be september 1st before bringing anybody back at the office and then some of the companies have just said forget it work from home right and so as that continues to become more uh, uh, pervasive across companies like you said the demand it is on on communication infrastructure is going to be greater you're seeing the home builders so I know a number of people in the in the residential construction space, you're seeing the home builders it is, are selling homes as fast as they can build them, right? Interest yeah. rates are really low. Guys are saying, well, forget it, you know? Uh, you know, I think uh, listings in San Francisco were up. And what the journal was saying last week, listings in San Francisco were up 96% over this time last year. Because everybody's wow. like, if I'm going to work from home for the next year, why am I paying seven grand for a one-bedroom apartment? Right. Forget it. I'm moving to Wyoming or Idaho or wherever they're moving, right? You know? Of which yeah, totally right. Yep. and so um, the home builders are building a little bit bigger houses. You're seeing now dual offices in the house. You're seeing more infrastructure and and uh, you know cool home automation stuff. It is that people are demanding because forget it. I'm going to be at home for the next year. I might as well buy a cheaper house out in the sticks with a big office in the backyard. Cool. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, that, that tax base flight, there's been a lot of articles in economic journals and some of the World Bank stuff and everything on that. And it's been fascinating to watch cuz San Francisco, New York are the two prime candidates.
1: Oh, 100%. Well, uh what's the guy's name in New York? De Blasio, right? He's yeah. he's like, please please come back to New York, you know? <laughs> right? Like there's yeah. like mass exodus out of New York, right? And so which which is sad because like my favorite city. Like I love being in Manhattan and and it's just it's different now, right? Like it's just different.
0: Yeah. I literally had gotten a thing from a hotel I stayed at in Midtown. And yeah. it's like, hey, we're doing daily office rentals. So you can rent a hotel room for, you know, X and treat it like an office. Here's how we're sanitizing it. Da 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 right, you know, wow. 42nd Street kind of thing. Right. Wow. Right in the middle of everything. And I'm looking like you can't get a closet in new york for this for a day
1: no totally and, and and you know even the weird thing is though is that even if you're like that's a great deal i'm gonna to go to the city i'm gonna spend two days like who are you gonna meet with like so there's, I, there's nobody there and I, think I think the, the hook was crazy. different
0: i think it was for the guys that were stuck up in the 80s
1: oh, right and they that crazy. wanted
0: to get out of that one bedroom apartment
1: oh totally, totally. <laughs> I, I, was, I was upset i read uh yesterday that uh what's the uh, what's the cool little european cafe the uh, Maison kaiser or whatever it is in new york yeah uh, for bankruptcy oh yeah yeah so it's just it's the landscape's definitely going to change in these especially in the big core cities it is the you know uh, new york and san francisco and chicago and la and it's just it's yeah it's going to be it's going to be different
0: yeah, there, there was actually an article a few weeks back uh, in the UK where they were begging people to reopen their offices. The government was saying, reopen for several days a week. You're killing the sandwich shops.
1: <laughs> or the pubs. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the pubs are going out of business.
0: Right? All the pubs yeah. are going out of business. And actually, one of the major changes, I think, just this weekend, it came out that they had 50 infections in 50 different pubs. So they've got some challenges. <laughs>
1: they got some challenges. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's for sure. <laughs> so. Jeremy, anything else you want to add?
1: Well, this is wonderful, buddy. I appreciate you having me on. I, I'm disappointed I didn't have a bow tie. I'm feeling a little bit, you know, feeling uh, a little bit out. Maybe next time I got to up <laughs> my game a little bit. But Absolutely love sharing some time with you. And, uh, you know what, Hopefully, hopefully your audience enjoyed it. But it was great to share some time with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Genuinely enjoyed it. You're welcome back anytime you want. So, you know, just let me know.
1: Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it.
0: I hope this brought you new insights and thoughts on how to grow your business and how to plan for expansion. As always, you know you can find links to everything we talked about here in the show notes at timpubiak.com, and you can find Jeremy at jb-capital.com. 2021 is almost upon us. And are you willing to bet your job or your business that the big sale you're counting on is going to come in how and when you expect? Know in less than five minutes if what you're thinking is fact or fiction. Take our online assessment at timkubiak.com fact to find out.